0: Okay, good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 158, and today is going to be part two of Marxism, so we're learning quite a bit about this. And so first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners, because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to the United States, the Russian Federation, South Africa, Japan, Germany, and Uzbekistan. Good to see all of you. So it's really interesting to be learning about all this because I did not know that Karl Marx was also intertwined with, I think it's pronounced Frederick Engels, And actually it's those two men that really developed Marxism and communism. So it wasn't just one or the other. It's kind of like they both had an idea uh, how to have communism, and basically they both hated the, well, the United States, but um, they both uh, hated capitalism, like basically with a passion. And so they came up with all these theories of how to make it look like their way of thinking is correct and everybody else's thinking is wrong. So that's another reason why we have to be careful about the theories that we believe in and things that we teach our children and just things that infiltrate and affect our societies. It's, it's very concerning. Um, it's just really concerning because I look at a point of view as, you know, if we don't have an economy, then we don't have jobs, we don't have houses, we, I mean, it's just, it's terrible. But see, here's the thing, what these two guys, for whatever reason, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, just bizarrely, it, it's like they're, they claim to be for mankind, but they're really not. Because if you think it's okay to take from one person and give to another, then then you're okay with thievery. So, yeah, I do want to dive into these two individuals separately, and take a look at, okay, what was their childhood? You know, where where exactly were they from per se? What was going on in their country at the time when they were going through all this stuff? And what molded them into the men that they became? Because typically when someone becomes who they are, it's typically because of things that happened in their childhood or maybe where they're from or their country or things like that. And so Karl Marx and Frederick Engels um, were very much, I guess you could say, revolutionaries of their time. And what I find very interesting is that they somehow found a way to fool the masses because they they blamed the rich for all the problems. They blamed capitalism for all the problems. And, you know, that's very similar to critical race theory because critical race theory shames and blames. So well, so does communism. So does Marxism. Technically, so does fascism. But fascism is more along the lines of a very immoral way of promoting nationalism because there's nothing wrong with loving your country. Nothing at all. But fascism takes it to the extreme, like what the Nazis did. And just FYI, we are having a problem with gnats here in Oklahoma. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm growing pepper plants inside. But just FYI, if you see me going like this, it's because of gnats. So, um, oh, FYI to my listeners, I am recording this for YouTube, but I am saving a track for the audio. So, again, let me know if you guys are able to hear it, you know, the way that you're used to hearing it whenever I post this to my podcast. But, um, if you are listening to my podcast, do look me up on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called The Endurance of Labor Laws. Um, these last two videos, you will actually get to see me. You will a- actually get to see who I am, all those good, wonderful things. And maybe uh, in the future, we can do a live YouTube uh, viewing and you know, we can see each other, that kind of thing. That would be awesome to see my listeners. Love you guys very much. So, but FYI, uh, my listeners, um, if ever you you hear me saying, hey, oh, oh, there's another gnat. It's because my my viewers on YouTube are seeing me swatting flies over here. So FYI, be aware of that. Nature is a blessing for sure. I don't know why we have gnats, but it is what it is. But let's go ahead and dive into this. So we're looking at Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in terms of the history of Marxism. As I said previously, we will dive into Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in separate uh, episodes because I think it's very important to understand why they thought this stuff up, because it was very disturbing um, the way they started it, how they founded it, and plus people during their time were very concerned about their, basically their own little theology, even though they're anti-religion, and, uh, you know, one of them is a kind of anti-monogamous marriage, um, but it's very interesting that you know communism. There are aspects of it that are very similar to, uh, I think it's called libertarian, and so that's why I've never been for the third party in the United States because I dated a guy briefly years ago, and he was a libertarian, and he was one of the most immoral, amoral people I had ever met. Like he was worse than um, he was worse than a Democrat or a liberal, in my opinion, because he claimed that. You know, he wanted all this freedom, 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 and governance the problem, but yet he just wanted freedom to sleep around, um, not do what other people want, and not really pay any attention to the government. So basically, lawlessness. Like he was so extreme, and I was just like, You skankwad, like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and um, he got a, a woman knocked up, has a daughter out of wedlock, and it's like when he became a dad, Oh, he's got to be a little, just a little religious. Not really, because he would he would never go to a church. Um, he was such a jerk and a creep. But um, he was being very picky about things for his daughter. And I was like, oh, so would you want a guy to talk to your daughter the way that you're talking to me? Like the things you're trying to get me to do, do you really think that's appropriate? And needless to say, we did not go out anymore. I was like, look, I'm not the kind of girl that you're used to going out with and knocking up. I was like, that's not who I am. And I think it stems from what you believe in, in terms of a government, because he just wanted to have a free for all. Like he's probably in his fifties now, if I had to guess, because he was, he was older than me. So he's probably in that stage now where he's just a dirty old man, because I doubt he ever got married because he doesn't believe in monogamous relationships He doesn't believe in religion. So if you don't believe in religion, you know, pretty much anything goes like, you know, you can just do whatever you want. Well, you know, that's a big, a big reason why the Libertarian Party um, will never have a candidate that will ever get elected in the United States because you cannot have a lawless person be elected to office and expect everything to be great. It, It just it just doesn't happen. I mean, at least with communists. They just flat out tell you the truth about how they hate people. (laughs) You know, They just flat out tell you. And they literally say, we're going to round these people up and we're going to shoot them. Like, they're just honest about libertarians. They hide behind stuff all the time. But that's my personal opinion. But that's what I've noticed over the years. And because I dated a guy very briefly, very briefly. And I was just like, this is too weird. You know, just... Ugh, disgusting. But anyway, moving on. Um, Needs to say, there's a reason why some relationships end and you move on. So always good to move on and move towards a better and brighter future with better, kinder, moral people. So that's always a plus. Um, Anyway, it says here, Marx addressed the alienation and exploitation of the working class, the capitalist mode of production and historical materialism. Okay, so Karl Marx, he believed that because of capitalism, the workers were being alienated and being exploited, which I don't understand that at all. Like his thinking is so disturbed. It, it, it's just bizarre to me because it's like, okay, if an employer is hiring somebody and they're paying them a wage and or benefits, how are they alienated and how are they being exploited? Now, mind you, um, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, you know, during this time frame were were. I think we're coming out of the industrial revolution. I'm trying to remember when exactly that happened, but there's a lot going on in terms of industry. So this is back during a time when these two guys were alive that we did not have OSHA. We did not have all these health and safety standards, these health and safety protocols, because again, as I've said in times past, if you look at every industry that we have, at least here in the United States, at some point it had to start, at the beginning, right? You would expect that with anything. Like when you're when you're writing a book, for example, you basically start with chapter chapter one, right? Or you start with an idea. And then that idea can change and, and go where it needs to go, right? Well here's the thing, it's the same thing with industry. So the the safety protocols that we have today, a lot of them unfortunately, are in place because we learned from a dangerous situation of what not to do. Because also what you have to remember is that You know, the the original automobiles that, you know, in this country, you know, that were built by Henry Ford, none of them had airbags. None of them. I mean, I don't think they had anti lock brakes. They didn't have, um, it was a stick shift, so it wasn't, um, it wasn't automatic. It was a standard. Um, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, we, we, we don't always look at things the way that it was back then. That doesn't excuse the stuff that's taking place today. But what I'm saying is that these two guys, we're looking at labor in such a way that oh, it's all bad. The workers being abused, and it's like, well, no. Like I'm sure some of them were, but not all of them, because it was actually the employers. There were many employers that started health benefits. It wasn't the Marxists and it wasn't the communists. It was actually capitalist. It was actually capitalist. The CEOs and things like that of their companies. That they created the health benefits They they really I, I don't want to say institute, but they started started the whole notion of having a employee package, basically, where you have life insurance, health insurance, disability insurance, things of that nature. And also, I mean, you have to think about like during this time, especially in the United States, um. During the 1800s and things of that nature, we didn't have Social Security. Like, we had hardly any social welfare programs, hardly at all, because a lot of social welfare programs, the ones that we know today, did not get invented or put into place until the 1960s. You know, there were some programs that were thought of, I think, back in the 30s or 40s by FDR. But... Um, you know, he accrued a lot of debt, not only because of the war, but because of the, the projects that they did and things like that. And some of the projects were really good because they put people back to work, mostly men. Um, cause they built a lot of dams and roads and things of that nature. But it's like, it's like I was saying just a moment ago, every industry started somewhere, right? So usually whenever you are inventing something new, it's probably not always going to be the safest because you have to work out the kinks, right? Well, these two guys Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, they were always looking at things from a jade point of view and that all the world's problems are from capitalists. And I'm just thinking, wow, how ungrateful can you be that people who own a business are willing to hire workers and pay them wages? So, you know, I I know there were bad employers back then, but not all of them were bad. And even the bad ones were not bad like Stalin or Hitler or, you know, something like that. Like they're making it seem like... Capitalism is evil, and it's not. You know, I've said this in times past, when an employer is evil and when they do something really wrong, that is a direct reflection of the person, of the employer, and or the place of business if they continue to do these, I can't even say it, continue to do these bad things. So I'll give an example. Um, Okay, so I was thinking of Taco Bell. I remember years ago, um, there was like a manager or something or an employee, that um, he, he got drunk and had to be driven home by, like, Uber or whatever it was, and I guess he wasn't very nice to the Uber driver. He's drunk. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but drunk people are not known for being couth, right? Well, this Uber driver shamed and blamed this guy, I guess some type of an executive, because he worked at the corporate office of Taco Bell, he, he basically broadcasted what this guy did and said his name or whatever and who he worked for. Well, that guy lost his job, the, the executive with Taco Bell. And I just thought, wow, shaming and blaming. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Here's the thing, like, Taco Bell, they should have totally told that Uber driver off and been like, could you please not shame and blame our employees? Like, if you have an issue with that person, you need to talk to them, like, when they're sober or whatever. But, you know, when someone's off the clock, They're not representing Taco Bell or any company. They are representing themselves. Unfortunately, this Uber driver, you know, threw such a hissy fit that it cost this guy his job. I was like, oh, that's great. Now we've got someone else that's unemployed. Congratulations, Uber driver. You just ruined someone else's life. Like, you cost them their health care, their medical benefits, their dental insurance, their life insurance, and he doesn't have a job. I mean... I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, are, are you really going to, You know, let me put it this way, are you going to assist with employers firing every drunk person on the planet? Like, do you never get drunk, Mr. Uber driver? It's just like, you know, I'm not for alcoholics, not by any means. I'm not for drinking like that. But I'm just saying that, you know, here you have a low-wage worker purposely getting in trouble, an executive of a company. That goes directly into communism and Marxism, you know, because you have this class warfare. And so here's the thing. That Uber driver should have been fired. He should have been fired because he violated a confidence, basically. And, you know, here's another thing. If someone's being rude to you, you don't blame the company where the person works. I mean, if the person was on the job, you know, let's say it's a worker that's actually at a Taco Bell, then I would see, yeah, call the company and make them aware of it. But this other situation, I have no doubt this Uber driver was like, who are you to treat me like that kind of thing? I have no doubt he's like that. And it's like, well, here's the thing. I say, it's respectfully, you need to get over your sweet little self because it's not all about you. And If you cost someone else their job and they didn't actually do anything wrong at their job, you know, like that. And they didn't really commit, you know, this guy didn't commit a crime. I mean, he didn't do anything immoral or illegal. He was just rude. I mean, you know, are are we going to have the ghetto police? I mean, that's kind of what's going on right now with people being super sensitive and, oh, I'm offended. I'm offended kind of thing. You know, you know, hashtag I care, but I'm going to get you in trouble kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just this moodiness that takes place. Well, this very much reminds me of Marxism and communism because it's like. The workers, you know, it's like, how do I describe this? Uncouth workers, I'll say this. Uh, jealous workers, that's a better word. Jealous workers that envy people who make more money than them do not have an excuse or any reason whatsoever to target someone who makes more money than them and then do everything they can to get them fired, which is exactly what happened in this Taco Bell situation, which was shocking. I was like, wow, Taco Bell, way to turn on your employees. Like, I'm just like, do you not know that these Uber drivers, they probably get drunk as well. Hopefully they're, hopefully they're not drunk while they're driving people home. <laughs> but, you know, there's just this, sometimes whenever people play the victim all the time, which is typically what Marxism and communism is, it's whenever, you know, the, the, the workers, yeah, let me rephrase that. Okay, so when I'm talking about workers... I'm not talking about the workers that Karl Marx is talking about here or Frederick Engels. So I kind of feel like there, there are two different types of workers in the workforce, at least here in the United States. I feel like there's the haves and the have-nots. The have-nots are always wanting what the haves have, right? So they're going to do everything they can to shame and blame them, you know, you know lie about them, make a cut at them, things like that. The haves, you know... <laughs> They're earning a living. Are all of them perfect? No. But you see, whenever you have the have-nots, what would be beneficial to to the have-nots is to say, okay, what can I do to make more money? What can I do to raise my social status? What can I do to earn a better living? Unfortunately, sometimes the have-nots, they don't think that way. Sometimes they think like a communist or a Marxist, and they think, well, those people who have that money, they don't deserve that. So whenever these these haves or these people that have more money, even in the middle class, you know, um, whenever they have more money, the have-nots, look at anything that, that the people who make more money, they look at them as, in, in such a way that they think, okay, you know, if they make a mistake, what can I do to get them in trouble because I deserve that money they do not. So it's like the people who make more money are being targeted. An example of this is the paparazzi targeting like movie stars and things like that, because the paparazzi they 're typically not making that good of money, and they really have no respect for actors and movie stars and things of that nature or people that are that are popular and it's like you know that's exactly what this is like it's people wanting something that doesn't belong to them and it's like you got to be kidding me like that's called greed so it's as I've said in times past with communism and Marxism. You know, they claim to care about the worker. But here's the thing. Once that worker, you know, becomes rich or moves up to the middle class, then the very ideology of Marxism and communism will turn on that worker that is now making more money. And then now the workers that don't make as much or haven't been making as much, now they turn on their very own who has started to make more money. So. It really does matter what you focus on and what you think about because that will determine the trajectory of your life. So you want to have a better life. You want to be successful. All those good, wonderful things. Well, see, here's the thing. If you're constantly looking at someone else and thinking, I wish I had what they had and that kind of attitude, you're never going to get it. If anything, you're going to sink lower and lower into your misery because it's not right to covet what someone else has. Now, here's the thing. If you look at someone that has more than you, and you think, wow, I wonder how they got that. I wonder you know, what did they do to be so successful. That is completely different than being jealous or envious of somebody else. Here's the thing, though, under communism and Marxism, capitalism is always the target of someone else's frustration. It's usually because of greed. And it's because, oh, we want permission to legally steal from these people. Well, guess what? thievery is thievery regardless of whether you make it legal or illegal so that's why you have to be careful with things like that so hence you know that's why sometimes I want to know how are these people raised that think of these theories because sometimes how someone's raised determines just the bizarre thinking they have as an adult and they don't realize okay just because you were raised in dysfunction does not mean you have to be a dysfunctional adult like you can choose to be normal but you have to acknowledge that what you were raised in or what you were practicing or what you believed in was wrong. Sometimes it's very difficult for people to admit, oh, that was wrong. I need to turn away from that and I need to go towards what is right and what is better. That's why later on we are going to look into the childhoods and um, the life of Karl Marx and Frederick, Eng- Frederick Engels, excuse me, because that determines a lot of what people think about. And what you think about typically is what you end up doing. That's why I've said in times past, we need to be careful what seeds we plant in our brain because everything we plant in our brain, it takes root, whether we like it or not. So we need to be careful about those things. So it says in terms of Karl Marx, um, he was famous for analyzing history in terms of class struggle. Oh, here we go. Uh, Summarized in the initial line uh, introducing the communist manifesto, which he wrote in 1848. So even going back to 1848, there were people that hated uh, capitalism. But a lot of these people were from the Soviet Union, because Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, a lot of their stuff comes from the Soviet Union, and a lot of them were raised over there. So what you have to remember is that Russia, um, modern-day Russia today, it's nothing new in terms of its really strange way of thinking. And what's interesting is that you know, Russia has its own economy. It does have kind of a, a, semi-com- a, a, a semi-communist. <laughs> it's very communist uh, because they definitely have Vladimir Putin as their president. And he's ex-KGB. It's like, you know, if you don't want to have the old regime in charge, then you don't hire them. <laughs> you know, it's just like, think about that. Duh, right. And so, um, you know, Russia is very much still... Um, semi-Soviet bloc thinking, but and it's still semi-anarchist kind of thing because that, that is some of its roots dating back to different revolutionary periods in its history. So a lot of the anarchist mentality and the theories that we know of and that are being deemed as appropriate or or um, appropriate or acceptable, are for, are, they're from communist Russia, like it's not the American way. What's interesting is that the way that communism got here in the United States, because communists immigrated to the United States, communism was not and is not the, the floor plan or the foundation of the United States. Because we would not be a country if we were communists. Because like there's been so much destruction, death, and disease in communist countries. So I don't think people realize that if you are an American and you believe in, in Marxism or communism... You are literally throwing away your country and all for the sake of believing in a stupid theory that really all it's ever done is destroyed lives. It has not made it better because I can't think of a single thing about communism or Marxism that, that actually encourages people to have a better life and and that you can actually see the results of it. Like it's one thing, you know, to have a manifesto, you know, basically a, a complaining session, you know, for society, you know, it's one thing to have a manifesto and say, well, you know, the workers can have a better life if we do this. Well, guess what? A lot of communist regimes, they, they did exactly what Marxism and communism said to do. And guess what? Almost every single one of their countries failed. Almost every single one of their um, countries, they, they had death, disease, um, starvation. They had false imprisonments. Um, they, they turned their citizens into peasants. And it's just like... You know, that is not a positive of holding up the worker, right? So it's, it's, like as I've, it's like as I've said in times past where, you know, both the employer and the worker have workers' rights. But with communism and Marxism, they separate them. So they make it seem like the employer is not a worker. They're just the fat cat on the fence, you know, with a mouse in its mouth, and they're not really earning their keep. Well, that's not true because... The employer has a job as well. They own the company, right? And most of them work at their own company because what you have to remember is that back in the day, especially during these times, you know, the uh, I would say the 1900s and back, almost all companies were family owned and operated. Almost all of them. We we did not have a lot of large corporations back then, um, not like today because you know we're coming out of the industrial revolution and labor laws are changing, um, industries are changing, and, and, you know, things of that nature. So, and also our tax laws are changing over time with that as well during that time frame. But it's of those things that, you know, if, if you're going to try and say that employers are not workers as well, then you have totally missed the mark. Because if you think that employers are not workers as well, um, even if it's a bad boss, which I've had some of those as well, but they still have workers' rights as well. Because they are still earning a living, they are paying their taxes, and or receiving benefits, whatever those benefits may be. Like, they are a worker as well. Like, they have a social security number, right? So, it's one of those things that just because, you know, someone says, oh, the worker is more important than the employer, guess what? They're equals. Because if you don't have equality, then you have inequality. Well, the only way that Marxism and communism really works is if you no longer have equality, you, you you somehow separate the worker from the employer and you make it seem and you make it seem like they're always butting heads all the time. Of course, people are going to butt heads, but it's not at the rate at what these people are saying. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, like all they did was was fan the flames of discontent amongst workers that were already unhappy for whatever reason. Not all of them may have been unhappy about their job. They just may have been unhappy about where they live or, or or maybe they don't like the job they're doing, so they want to do something else. But unfortunately, when you have Marxism and communism, it deters people from saying, hey, if I don't like what I'm doing, I'll just get a better, a better job and a, and a higher paying job. Under Marxism and communism... They don't want the worker to think, oh, I should make more money. I can make more money or or, I should just own my own company and make millions of dollars. See, that's the difference really between Marxism and capitalism is that under Marxism, the, the mode of thinking is that, you know, how dare you think that you can be a capitalist? How dare you think that you can own your own company and make millions of dollars? Do you want to be like the very people that you hate? It's like, well... Why am I hating someone that, you know, they just happen to make more money than me and they own a company? I mean, they had to start somewhere, right? You know, capitalism is is really the only way to go because that's where you have freedom of upward mobility. Like, you, you that's really your only way to move up in social status and income status. That is the only way. Because what you have to remember is that during these times, especially during the 1800s, and I would say, well, 1900s and back, let me see. I, I would say I would say the middle class did not come about till maybe the 1950s because that's when the baby boomers, a whole bumper crop of them, were born. And uh, their families, um, you know, they were starting to build houses and things like that, more like cookie-cutter houses, like pop-up houses or whatever because it was affordable for regular everyday people. So you have the middle class that really grew tremendously in the 1950s. So pretty much, I would say the 1940s and back, there was – Not a large middle class. It would kind of come and go, come and go, depending on the economy and also the stability of the currency. But you always had the the lower, uh, lower income class and the higher income class, right? Well, under Marxism, they don't ever want people to move out of the lower income class and move up to middle class and or the upper class. Marxism wants to degrade and depreciate the upper class, the rich people, steal everything they have, you know, uh, confiscate their bank accounts, confiscate their property, um, you know, maybe even kick them out of the country or imprison them, and so make everybody equal. So then everybody is poor, and th- there's no mobility, there's no upward movement into having a better life. That's Marxism, that's communism capitalism is where you can start at the bottom. You can start out with nothing and you can shoot straight to the top if you want to. If you have a product or an idea or you have an innovation or maybe you want to go back to school, get more training, by all means, go, go do it. Like, you know, there's pie in the sky. I mean, look at it this way. If you shoot for the stars and you miss, at least you will land on the moon. At least you're shooting upward, right? So, but under Marxism, your, your trajectory is not upward, it's downward or staying the same. So you're just always doing this or you're going down because they don't want you to do better. They don't want you to have a better life because if you have a better life, then oh, you're, you're going to turn to one of these mean uh, religious capitalists and we don't want that. We don't want religion. You know, we, don't, we don't want people to have wealth. Although what's very hypocritical about that is that Marxists and communists typically are not poor because they love money. They have very much a big problem with greed. So it's not like, you know, they're eating cream of wheat every day. So be aware of that. So interesting, uh, to move on, it says, Together with Marx, Engels co-developed the communist theory. So there, there are these two guys, they're kind of thinking along the same lines, right? Marx and Engels first met in September 1844, discovering that they had similar views of philosophy and socialism concerning their. So FYI, socialism is very much a problem because it's kind of the 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 younger sibling to communism or to fascism. So that's why you have to be careful about socialism because it's just baby steps towards taking more and more away from citizens, okay? So these two were were socialist, okay? So then they took their socialism to the extreme, which was communism, okay? Very concerning there. Okay, so discovering that they had similar views of philosophy and socialism, they collaborated and wrote works such as the Holy Family. Good luck with that because it 's not really holy to be socialist or communist that 's for sure. After Marx was deported from France in january eighteen forty five they moved to Belgium, which permitted greater freedom of expression than other European countries. so they were having an issue with the um, i would say the government authorities because they they were practicing something that was not for their country that was not bringing the country together it was pulling communities apart so they were it's like you know they very much were these these revolutionists or these or these revolutionaries that were not having a positive effect on on communities or societies it was they were causing issues is what this is saying it says in January 1846 They return to Brussels to establish the Communist Correspondence Committee. So they're very adamant that they're going to invent this theory and they're going to spread it to bring people into their party because they know that if they can be extreme, they can be different. And sometimes people join a party, or a way of life because it's different. Not because they agree with it, but because it's different. So they're really revving up here, trying to convince people of what they want to do and that it's the right thing to do, even though it's not, because it has the government authorities of several countries very concerned. And this was in Europe at the time. It says, In 1847, they began writing the Communist Manifesto, so they wrote it together, based on Engels' The Principles of Communism. Six weeks later, they published the 12,000-word pamphlet in 1848, excuse me, February 1848. In March, Belgium expelled them, so they're getting kicked out of a lot of countries, and they moved to Cologne, where they published a politically radical newspaper. Not surprising, right? By 1849, they had to leave Cologne for London. The Prussian authorities pressured the British government to expel Marx and Engels, but Prime Minister Lord John Russell refused. After Marx died in 1883, Engels became the editor and translator of Marx's writings. So who knows if what is in this is actually what Marx said or what he wanted. So it's one of those things, when you have someone else doing your work, you know, you never really know what's going to be published, right? With his Origins of the Family, Private Property, and the State, which was published in 1884, it analyzed monogamous marriage as guaranteeing male social domination of women— um, also to the capitalist class's economic domination of the working class, Engels made intellectually significant contributions to feminist theory and Marxist feminism. So here's the thing. Feminism, come to find out, is nothing new. It was not new, um, in the 1970s, even in the 1960s or 1950s. That was news to me. I know that feminism kind of revved up in different parts of history. But, you know, I did not realize that Marxism was part of the foundation of feminism until I researched intersectionality feminism. And they were just blatantly blunt um, about that they very much believe in Marxism and that that very much determines their feminism. And I just kind of thought, that's not right, or the feminist movement. Because he, here's the thing Marxism goes against. Uh, capitalism. It's only under capitalism that women have had the most freedom, that women have the right to vote. They can own property. You know, they can become a a television executive or something like women have more mobility moving up under capitalism as opposed to Marxism or communism where everybody is pushed down. Everybody is suppressed. You know, it's one of the things that in regards to marriage that you know, you you can have the viewpoint that, you know, if a woman has to change her name to the man's last name, that that's male domination. Well, I can see it being both ways. But see, here's the thing. Family trees have always been, in terms of genealogy, have always gone down through the male line. So that's why women typically change their last name was because, you know, land and property always uh, was inherited by men. So, if if a woman didn't change her last name, then she could not continue the inheritance to her children that she gave birth to. So it's one of those things that, you know, communism or Marxism can be against, you know, monogamous marriage. But it kind of reminds me of that stupid pagan libertarian that I dated where he was not monogamous at all, did not believe in marriage whatsoever. And, um, It's just like, wow, so you basically just give yourself permission to use anyone and everyone, and that's not right. What's also very interesting is that with Marxism saying that monogamous marriage is a guarantee of male social domination of women, it's like, well, here's the thing. Um, If property has to be passed down through the male genealogy, basically, you know, through that last name, then it would be better for women to be married and to change their last name because that's how property was inherited, especially even back then. So if you are taking away the way that women can inherit anything or their kids can inherit anything, then that tells me you know, that Marxism and communism already does not value private property and they are against private property. If anything, um, I'll give an example. Like in, in communist China they have what's called Maoism, which was, you know, they had a, we'll talk about him later, but they had this leader named something Mao or whatever his stupid name is. And so he developed his own form of communism. And so it was either under him or another communist leader in China that um, they, they forced a lot of people to be peasants and to go work on these farms. But then there were other people, these young students from universities that were very much communist they believed in the Communist Party. They actually gave up their their cushy lifestyles, and they gave up going going to university to go live on these farms to farm the land and to just basically live in um, a commune kind of situation. It was it was a complete and utter disaster. It was horrible for these students. And you know, I remember being in college, and you know, we uh, we had to learn about these stupid students that did this way back in the day. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a student in college. There is no way that I would leave school, go live in a commune, um, mm-hmm. give up my education, you know, give up my, my family or my way of life and just give everything to the government, so to speak, and be a farmer. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Like, that's just, it just kind of shocked me. I was like, what are these kids or what were those kids thinking? But see, here's the thing. Whenever people think that, That they have the right way of living. Sometimes they do really stupid things, especially when it comes to communism and Marxism. Well, you know, also, you know, what those college students did not realize stupidly was that the leader of their country, of China, was just using them. He wanted them to degrade themselves, to basically to degrade their citizenship. You know, he didn't want them to be educated. So he, he put on this, um, I guess kind of had this propaganda of, oh, you can serve China, you know, you be, be a be a good citizen of China, you know, be a good communist and, and go work on, on these farms, you know, go work on this land. It's like, who does that? You know, give me Dairy Queen, give me a car, you know, give me my college education or don't give me it, you know, let me work towards it and earn it. Uh, I need to be careful about that because there's so many people Usually, very young, that think that they shouldn't have to pay uh, for their college education. It's like, well, someone's paying for it, and if it's not you, it's somebody else, so maybe you should say thank you (laughs) to people that uh, their tax dollars were being used um, for you to go to school. So, anyway, you know, what's really interesting, you know, with Marxism is that it has really spread, but it's not always it's not always in in the terms of marxism because what i found to be very interesting is that there're so many leaders mostly bad leaders that follow this that that they take communism like in some way or in some way or some shape or way and they they manipulate to what they want it to be for their country so it's almost like they you know, do you do you guys remember back in the day when you could buy, like, a, a boat kit or something? I seem to remember this. Like, you could buy a boat, and you could paint it whatever color you wanted. Like, the, the company that made them, I can't remember who it was. But basically, you were given the shell of a boat, you know, the structure of it. And you had the engine and everything like that. But you could paint it and decorate it however you wanted it, right? Well, that's kind of like what... The, these communist countries have done. They've taken Marxism. So let's say you have my phone here. So let's say they, they purchase their package of Marxism. So they purchase it. And then they change the outside. They change, you know, the seats and things like that. And so they make it their own form of communism, even though it is still rooted in Marxism. It's just now they've made it their own kind of communism, which is what has happened in Russia. Um, I would say, is it Bolivia? If I remember correctly, Russia, Vietnam, um, technically North Korea, but I mean, that's just a dictatorship anyway. He's a nut, um, and any, any of those countries that are in the Soviet bloc, which would also include the uh, Ukraine, and um, possibly Crimea, um, let's see, some other countries I can't think of. Anyway, um, there are so many countries that they, they get the template of Marxism, and then they, they twist it into what... They want it to be implemented in in a certain way in their country for it to be marx uh, not Marxism, but communism. So that way they can suppress their people and take over, first of all, the banking system, eliminate private property. Because, you know, I've read parts of the the Communist Manifesto and some other writings by these people, and it's really kind of shocking how they're not pro-family, they're not pro-private property, they're all for everything being ruled and dictated by the state. And it's like, well, if you're against workers being manipulated by an employer, why would you be okay with a government manipulating all citizens? It makes no sense to me. Like, I have I have never heard of this, you know, until looking up, you know, all this different c- kinds of communism, and it's just like, wow. So why would you sacrifice your freedom just to support the state? It's like, well, you know, the state belongs to the people. So that's why you have to focus on your on your citizenship. You have to focus on your rights as a citizen before you focus on your rights as a worker. Because if you if you don't understand your rights as a citizen, then your work is directly impacted. Because if, if you don't well, basically, if you don't have the rights, how do I describe this. Oh, let me put it this way. So if your government thinks that that you shouldn't be free, then you really are not a citizen of your country. You are a slave of your country, which is exactly what is happening in China. and It's also happening in India via the caste system, which they claim they don't have anymore, which they do. Uh, it is prod- uh, predominantly in their villages, and it's outside their city limits and things like that. And so it's kind of like, you know, you, you can't... I guess what I'm trying to say is that you can't say you care about people, but yet actively and proactively oppress them and suppress them because that's not caring about the people. That, that's, that is deterring the outcome of their prosperity, which means that basically you don't want them to be prosperous. You don't want them to have a good life. That's why in communism, one of the first things bad leaders do in Marxism and in communism is they take over the banks and they take over people's private property because they think that, you know, since you're not viewed as individual anymore within Marxism, then who needs private property? You know, we should all just live on one big commune. Well, I don't think so. Literally, I don't think so. Because that's not how people work. People want to own their own property. Even communists, you know, want to have their own house. You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, let's put it this way. One way to have your country fail is to become Marxist. And nobody has a bank account anymore. So if you do have a job and you're earning a living, which in a Marxist country would be an absolute joke because you're not earning a living, you're just being fed the scraps off the table of whoever your communist leader is, basically. But here's the thing. If your government... Um, takes over your banks and your bank accounts and you have a job, where are you going to cash your check and how are you going to support yourself and your family? And also how are you going to be able to pay for your house? How will you be able to pay for your utilities? Like how will you be able to, how will you be able to afford to do anything? Because if everything comes from the state, then then you don't have the freedom to get a better job. You do not have the freedom to get a better house. You do not have the freedom especially to move because one of the things, we've talked about this in times past with, with communist China, there are people over there, especially the, the peasants, um, they do not have freedom of movement at all. They very much have factories and those, those workers have to show up um, even if they've just had a baby. I mean, and if they just had a baby, they have to prove that it's only one or two. Like they have to prove that they haven't had too many. You know, it's one thing I saw that was really creepy, and I'll close with this. There was a documentary I saw about communist China, and it was about how horrible it is to women. And so um, one of the things that the Communist Party does to control the the human population is at all these jobs that that are, quote, unquote, in the private sector, but they're really not. Um, they have people in charge. And so if it's, if it's a, a labor force of women, they have a really butch looking kind of Chinese woman that's in charge of them, which you wouldn't think that would happen. You, you wouldn't think you'd have a butch Asian, but they do have them. And so, um, there's this female boss, um, who is rough looking and, um, she intimidates her female workers, but she also, uh, kind of gets cozy with them and, but, but she's just doing that to be nosy. Like she's just being nice. So she finds out when they're having their periods, because if she finds out they're not having a period, then then she can find out that they're having a baby, and then she can report that worker to the government. And so then that's how one way the Chinese government rounds up pregnant women, forces them to abort even almost at nine months, and then sterilizes them. So needless to say, you know the the government over there very much controls the private sector and the public sector. But see, here's the thing. You don't really have – sorry, I have another nap. If you don't really have a private sector, then technically everything is controlled or dominated by the government. And one way that the Chinese government controls the labor force, at least for women, is they use women against each other. And women are really good at that. Women make really good traitors. They make really good vipers. Um, They make really good killers, to be honest. They really do. Like some of the cruelest, meanest spies, um, I think during World War II were women because you wouldn't think women would be like that. You just wouldn't. You just wouldn't. But I've worked with some women that I'm like, I could totally see them killing somebody. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and they're usually in their 50s. They're usually hormonal. They're usually menopausal and they hate young women. I'm like, wow. So basically all you have to do To control the human population is just, you know, hire some really mean menopausal women that can't stand young women that are fertile and basically rat on them is what what will happen because that's kind of what's happening over in China. So, you know, I really wish women did not turn on each other, but unfortunately they do. And if you think that women are just these perfect sweet little angels, I got news for you. Go live in a sorority house for like 12 hours. And you'll figure out that women can be really horrible to each other, even when they're younger, even in their teens or twenties. They can be horrible to each other, horrible. So it's one of those things that you know it's really sad. But you know, one thing that that any evil government can do is they will use any avenue against their own citizens. So they will they will pit one group against another. And so what they'll do is they will use their own citizens to entrap other citizens. So it's called, I think it's called public policing, if I'm not mistaken. That's basically where anybody in society, your neighbor, your boss, your co-worker, can basically be policing you but without you knowing it. And then you get reported to the government. And in terms of communist China, you know, they they basically have a really good, a really good police force that doesn't even necessarily work for the government because they're just public policing. And what's very interesting is, Side note, just saw of this, um, that's very similar to Sharia law because they have public policing. They have these people that are do-gooders, right? That they want to make sure that the, 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 um, the society is not contaminated by people that do not agree with the government. So they, they have public policing. And in regards to Sharia law, I've mentioned this before. I actually saw a picture where this guy was whipping this woman brutally. And she was in a hijab, like from head to toe. And I guess, you know, she accidentally showed a, a, you know just a, a segment of her face, just a little piece of skin for whatever reason. And this is in a small community, right? Like this was not in a big city. He whipped her. And she is hunkering on the ground. And I'm just like, that is someone's daughter. That is probably someone's wife. That is probably someone's, you know, fiance. And here this guy, a do-gooder of the moral law, of Sharia law, just whips this woman horribly and graphically. And guess what? These other women, they're just standing there. Just like, you know, it's like, that's a great way to suppress women. So communism, what's interesting about your know, Marx's writing, you know, he, he's against monogamous marriage. But yet, if you go along with the mode of what is going on within communism, it's very anti-female. It's brutal to women. It suppresses them, it forces them to have abortions, and it, it also forces women to be sterilized. Like, how is that freeing? Like, it would be better for women to get married in a monogamous relationship and have as many babies as they want, as opposed to being communist, not being married. And then you have public policing, you have these hormonal, menopausal, uh, bitter Betty, viper women policing you. See, communism and Marxism actually turns workers against each other. So now it's not just the workers against the employer. It's all—it's everybody against everybody. So that is not the way we are supposed to live. But it's one of those things, if you get rid of religion, if you close churches, and if you squash any form of capitalism, people are going to act like animals. And that's where communism and Marxism comes about. I mean, if you want an example of that, I would read The Lord of the Flies. That's what it reminds me of because when you have lawlessness, anything goes. I mean, what's interesting is that communism and Marxism claims to be the law and to be the elitist and we know how to act and we know how to treat people. You know, if you're forcing people to not practice their faith and if you're closing churches, you're taking over private property, um, you're confiscating people's bank accounts, excuse me, and um, you're taking over places of business, and oh, and you're forcing women to get abortions and be sterilized, Um, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. It's very cruel, grotesque, and sick. And what's interesting is that when the Berlin Wall fell and you saw the difference between East and West Germany, or sorry, East and West Berlin or Germany or whatever, um, you, you really saw the horrors of communism and what those people had been living under for so many years. And it's just like, wow, these people were isolated. They were secluded. They were not allowed to go to the other side of the wall. Um, it was considered a, an offense. It was illegal to do so, to try and escape. So it's one of those things that do you really want your government to be in charge of every little thing that you do so much so that you're treated like you don't have a brain and the moment you start to think for yourself, you're a traitor, and you will be gotten rid of. That's what happens in communist China. That's what happens in any communist country or technically any kind of dictatorship. So it's interesting is that we have to be careful whenever whenever we are taking Marxism as a template, right? And we're saying, well, I like some of the ideas to it, but I'm going to make it what I want it to be. Do you really want to be like that communist Mao guy? Do you really want to be like Stalin or Lennon? I mean, really, like, do you want to be, like, some of these really bad people? You know, there was, um, there was this one show I saw. It was a while ago. It, it's a fake show. It's not, like, a documentary or anything, but it's a fictional show. Um, so I didn't really enjoy it. I watched, like, one episode. It was interesting. Um, but it was there was way too much foul language. It's, like, I don't need foul language in order to enjoy a show. and it, And it was really disturbing, but one thing I've never forgotten about it was there's this woman, um, she's going to a job interview, and I'm pretty sure this is a, a BBC show, I'm pretty sure this is from the UK, I don't know why the UK has gotten so raunchy and so disturbing with their language and stuff, I'm just like, wow, very pagan, very weird, um, please tell me you're not going back to your roots, but anyway, um, so this girl, she's in her 20s, she goes and interviews for a job. And, um, she made the mistake, I guess she was nervous in her interview and she made the mistake of quoting Hitler <laughs> from his book. And, and she didn't think that either one of the people interviewing her would know that she was quoting from Hitler's book, like Mein Camp or Mind Life, whatever that idiot wrote. And so I think it was the woman in the interview because she's being interviewed by a woman and a man. And the woman goes, are you quoting Hitler in your job interview? Needs to say she did not get the job. And it was hilarious because I think that was the only part I really liked about the show. And then she goes to a party. And um, it's this a friend of hers um, that is having a baby. And the friend is like out to here or pregnant. And this this her friend um, that you can tell she doesn't really agree with or really like. Because it's like they're in two different stages of life. You know, the girl that made the Hitler comment, <laughs> quote, and it was actually a really good quote, <laughs> surprisingly. But it's one of those things, if you know who said it, and you know how bad they were, then you probably shouldn't be quoting them. But anyway, um, so she's looking for a job, quoting the wrong people, and then her friend is out to hear if the baby is married and everything. And, um, you know, she's trying to be happy for her friend that's pregnant, and her friend is just weird, like just... Oh my gosh, just high on baby fever, you know, and, and she, this stupid friend made this creepy comment. I've never forgotten it. She said, um, basically the girl that's looking for the job is congratulating her on being pregnant or, you know, having a baby or, you know, about to have a baby, helping to celebrate her baby shower. And her friend just leans back and goes, Oh, I'm just a vessel for human life. It was just, Oh, disgusting. (laughs) It was so weird. It was just like, ooh, like gross. Like that's how she talks about childbirth. Like, oh, and it was meant to be gross and disgusting. It was meant to be weird (laughs) because the girl that made the Hitler comment just kind of looked at her friend like, whoa, like you're just letting your body be. You just think that your body is only to be used for childbirth, a very excruciatingly painful process. (laughs) It was just hilarious. It was gross. Um. No way this girl worded it, but it was also like, wow. But anyway, it's a BBC show, so of course it's going to be inappropriate and weird. But um, the, the look on that girl's face, the one that's looking for a job, <laughs> was hilarious. It's kind of like a dark comedy and um, very different. But anyway, um, my point with that example is um, was that we need to be careful who we are quoting. Who are we looking to for advice, even if we don't realize it? Like, you need to be careful about, you know, what you are aligning yourself with. Because, you know, it's like I've given the example of where, okay, we've got our template of uh, Marxism. How can I make it mine? Guess what? When you are America or when you are an American, you have the Constitution of the United States. You know, what's interesting about the Constitution of the United States is that no one can take it and manipulate it. You know what I mean? But with Marxism, because it's just a theory and it's not really how you're supposed to live, that's why it's been taken and made even worse. Marxism is bad in itself. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, whenever people take a leaf out of um, or, or a page out of America's book of how to treat people, they have a way better future. Because they they then start to believe in democracy and freedom and all these good and wonderful things. But what's interesting is that if they don't take basically the Constitution of the United States and keep it in its entirety, like keep it for what it is, like not change anything about it. When they start to change it, that's when it's no longer democracy. That's when there's no longer any freedoms. You're basically taking the Constitution of the United States and tearing it up. Whenever you're just like, well, I'm going to take this document, this way of thinking, and I'm going to make it what I want it to be. That's arrogance. See, that's why we have these dictatorships. That's why we have all these bad leaders is because they they take something that they can't even think of. But they know that's already not right in terms of Marxism. And they twist it and make it their own. Whereas, you know, when people look to the United States and they look at our Constitution, there's, there's nothing that you can do to make that better. And plus, you shouldn't be cherry picking things. See, that's, you know, the Constitution is very similar to the Bible, where if you're not implementing all of the law, that's where you're going to have problems. Big time. Because you're one nation under God. Like, that's why, that's why with the Constitution of the United States, it doesn't need to be changed. It it doesn't need to be manipulated. It's already good in its its natural form, like in its purest form, like as its original document. I mean, it it sets so many people free from the the foundation and the beginning of the United States. Whereas whenever people take the manifesto of Marxists, you're basically stripping people of their freedom from the beginning. You're limiting people from owning property. You are forbidding people from having a better life. And also, like, you're, you're giving bad people permission to try and take over banks. Like, you know what? That's exactly what the Nazis did in World War II. In fact, that's one of the first things they did whenever they uh, were invading people. They didn't always invade them with, I think, what's called the, the Blitzkrieg or whatever. You know, they didn't always go in with tanks one of the ways that the Nazi party grew and grew tremendously was they would go in and just kind of slightly suppress people. It it was just subtle. It's like, Oh, well we don't think these people should have businesses, but you can. It's like, well, they're not suppressing me. Is it really that bad? Yes, it really is that bad. What makes you think they're not going to come for you next? I mean, really think about it. You know, so then they would, they would take over people's businesses. They would take over their bank accounts they would strip them of their rights. And so there were times that because the, the Nazis did those things, they didn't need to use their tanks because they had already won the battle of taking over these people. So it's kind of like, you know, you need to be careful what you ad- ad- adopt or adapt to, I should say, in your policies of your countries and also in your thinking in everyday life. Because I look at it this way. Why would you want to read the Communist Manifesto when you can read the Constitution of the United States because under communism you don't have civil rights. You don't have any rights whatsoever. I mean, it's just, I mean, you don't have the, you know, the, um, you know freedom of speech. Uh, not everybody has the right to vote because the only people that can vote should be registered communist. I mean, that's why the Communist Party of China does so well is because really the only party that you can be registered for is the Communist Party. Well, that's a great way to win every election just make it so there's only one party, <laughs> you know, so, um, it's like, how, how do people fall for this, I don't get it, like, how do you fall for um, not having liberty, not having freedom, not having, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, um, freedom to, to live wherever you want, freedom to own property, uh, freedom to have to, uh, to make as much as you want, to be successful, like, You know, everybody has hopes and dreams in their heart. Like, they have desires of their heart. Why are you handing those desires over to your government? Because that's what you're doing when you believe in Marxism. That's what you're doing when you practice communism. You're basically, and also socialism and fascism, that's basically what you're doing with all those modes, all those different ways of running a country. Whereas, you know, if a government really wanted what is best for their citizens... They would not strip them of their desires. They wouldn't do that. They would honor their citizens. They would encourage them to be their best and do what they love. Do what they love. And it's as I've said in times past as long as what you love and what you desire is legal and moral, you're good to go. Like, just just go out there and live your life, be your best. You know, you be a good steward. You know, be a good citizen. Be a good neighbor. Be a good spouse. Be, you know, be a good daughter. Be a good son. Whatever the case may be, like, you know, just be real. But what's interest What's interesting is that under Marxism, you can't be yourself. And the reason why is because they punish the individual because they don't want people to know who they are as individual. Because to know who you are and what you are as as an individual means that. You will not want to go along with Marxism or communism because you will know that you will lose your personal identity as a Marxist or a communist. Because whenever you're dealing with Marxist or Marxism and communism, the whole notion of being an individual and having your own identity and having your own life is unheard of and, in fact, forbidden because the state, the government, controls everything about you. So, you know, I think it's very concerning, especially from a female point of view, that feminists would ever be for Marxism. Because I'm like, do you agree with throwing away your identity? I would venture to say no. But you know, you, you can't be you can't be a, a, a radical and be a true feminist because a true feminist is someone that actually values women. Okay under Marxism and communism, they don't value women because they don't value the individual. So it's like, okay, technically Marxism and communism, it's sexist. It's another way of oppressing women. And if there are any feminists listening in that disagree with me, reach out to me and let me know why. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But what I would encourage you to do is read up on China, communist China, and how they mistreat women on a daily basis. And how they have public policing and how they turn on each other. See, here's the thing. If they did not have public policing in communist China, the communist party would fall, I think, fairly quickly. Because I think people would realize, hey, you know, we need to be kind to our neighbors. We shouldn't be ratting them out on stupid stuff like this. Like, who cares if they have another baby? Like, whatever. They're married. Or even if they're not married. Like, the, the woman just gave birth. Like, leave her alone. So it's one of those things that, Communism and Marxism very much turns people against each other. It does not unify the workforce. The only thing it unifies is revolution, which is not what anyone needs because we do not need revolution. We do not need to be radical. We do not need anarchists. I mean, if you want examples of this, look at every country that is in the Soviet bloc. And you will see that they have had problems for a long time. Why? Because of what they believe in. And what they believe in is communism, even though they may have a pretend democracy, which is like what the Ukraine did. It's like, I don't believe they are actually democratic. I mean, the Ukraine, as we've seen in one of a previous podcast I did on the Olympics, the Ukraine is incredibly corrupt. All those countries in the Soviet bloc are very much corrupt. They are not these dear, sweet little countries um, that that have been liberated from the Soviet Union. Yes, they were liberated but they were not these sweet kind gentle countries that people are making them out to be because you know y- you know you can you can remove communists from the country but you cannot remove the communists from the person so just be aware of that because it's one of those things they can they can do lip service or mouth service and say whatever we want to hear if it sounds democratic if it sounds like freedom But you really need to take a look at, okay, what do they actually believe in and what do they actually support? Like, what's going on behind the scenes? Because a lot of those countries that are in the Soviet bloc, if they had pulled together, they could have left Russia a whole lot sooner, but they did not care to do so. So, you know, it's very interesting that, you know yes, there were some really bad things that happened in, in communist Russia back then during the Soviet Union years. But, you know, you also had a lot of people, a lot of citizens that that were pro-communist. So they were actually for communism. They just didn't like being broke. (laughs) So it's kind of like, well, if you don't like being broke, don't be a communist. Because under communism, your money belongs to the state, like all of it. Everything belongs to the government. It's not like we're in the United States. You know, you get taxed whatever, whatever tax bracket it is. You get taxed this, but you get the rest. Basically, in the United States, the federal government gets their pound of flesh, but then you you keep the rest of the carcass, so to speak. In, In communism, everything you have and own does not belong to you anymore. It belongs to the state. So if you don't like being poor, don't be communist. If you don't like being broke, don't be a Marxist. Be a capitalist. Like, what do you have to lose? The only thing you have to lose is your poverty, your lack, your stress. I mean, what's that one show? It's How to Be a Millionaire or How Did They Get So Rich or something like that. It's whatever that show is that Joan Rivers uh, hosted. You know, almost every single one of those stories started with someone that almost all of them had nothing to start out with. But but they had a thought or an idea or a desire or a dream And they went with it and they became millionaires. Well, let's say those same people had been born in the Soviet Union and they had those same ideas. Well, guess what? If you think like a Marxist, your ideas and the desires of your heart do not belong to you because they do not honor or acknowledge the individual. Everything belongs to the state. It belongs to the government. So needless to say, that's why they they don't have super wealthy people over there, at least not in the same numbers as we do. It's because whenever you suppress your people and you steal from them, even their thoughts and their ideas and their desires, that's how you keep people poor. And one of the biggest reasons why communists and Marxists love to keep people poor is so that they can just feed them all this false propaganda and, and say, look, see, this is why you're poor. You're poor because of capitalists. And so the poorer the poor get, the more they shame and blame the capitalists. And it's like, no, like you're forcing people into poverty under Marxism. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is where you have every right to go out and make as much money as you want. You're free to do so. Go at it. You know, go do it. But under communism and Marxism, if you do anything that reflects the individual, like you as a person, you're a traitor, you're a troublemaker, and you can almost guarantee you will be arrested or tried or executed because they do not want someone that questions the state or the government. It's very similar in um, all these countries over in the Middle East that practice Sharia law because in, in those countries where they practice the Muslim religion, when you question you know the, the police or the court, you're also questioning the, the religion, so that's why you don't get punished under like a federal law, which, you know, like a state law or something. You get punished under their religious law, which is why they execute and torture so quickly over there. Because it's it's because you, you questioned Allah. You, you questioned, you know, the Prophet Muhammad. You know, you you, you questioned their, their deity or whatever, which is considered a pretty serious offense over there. So needless to say... Whenever you have a government that discourages its citizens from questioning anything, you don't really have a government per se. You have a dictatorship. You have um, a communist country. You have a very unstable country. And you have no freedoms whatsoever. You have no freedoms. And that's very unfortunate because people do and should have freedoms. You know, it's very interesting with uh, with communist countries they, they suppress these people so much and they convince them that they don't have freedom but they actually do have freedom it's just they're believing these lies that they don't because it's like okay let's say you have two countries here one's communist one's not one's completely free cap, capitalist whatever okay so the the citizens that are over here which they're not citizens they're slaves over here in the marxist country if all they did was tippy toe over to capitalism oh look i have freedom i have liberty i i can do whatever i want so guess what you had those freedoms all along over here, but because you believed the lie and you let someone really bad get into power, they snatched them from you, even though technically you still have, you have them because they, you know, freedom is inalienable rights, which comes from the, the constitution of the United States, but also, you know, our founding fathers when they wrote that document, they were thinking of it, you know, not only to found a new country, but also what is good for all mankind. Not just the United States, but for all mankind. So when they drafted the Constitution of the United States, they were drafting it for all, for all countries and all civilizations to come in the future. Because equality and freedom comes from God. It doesn't come from mankind and it especially does not come from a dictator. It does not come from Marxism. It does not come from fascism, it does not come from communism. And lo and behold, it does not come from socialism. If you want an example of where socialism is greatly hindering people, look at Trudeau and what his party is doing in Canada. It's very disturbing what they're doing up there. It's just like Canada, like what is their issue? Like they're not heavily populated. And they're very strict about who they allow into their country to work there. Um, and yet they, it's like they reward terrorists and Muslims with money that they arrest. And it's like, wow, that's really a slap in the face to Canadians because it's Canadian tax dollars that are being paid out to these thugs. So it's kind of like, wow. Um, but see, here's the thing. People keep voting for Trudeau. So it's one of those things like, you know, if, if Canada wants to complain, I'm like, look to yourselves. Like, who do you have to blame except yourself for voting in someone that is basically a playboy, um, is not really educated, is a socialist, and, and values environmental programs more than addressing people's suffering? Like he cares more about politics than he does about the citizens. Well, you've got a little mini dictator there. The only reason why he's kept in, in line is because of the conservatives. I mean... But Canada Canada has been socialist for a long time, so if Canada is complaining, and I know that it is, they really have no one to blame but themselves because how you vote or don't vote makes a big difference. So needless to say, I will go ahead and end this podcast, but as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.